We return this morning to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be reading this section 18 to 25. And this morning preaching the first of three messages from this particular section of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth, you may recall that I told you the word in the Greek language for birth is Genesis. Now the genesis of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we are thankful this morning to be able to work in this dynamic historical record concerning the genesis of Jesus Christ. We are thankful for the days spent in the foundational understandings of importance relative to genealogy. And now as we continue to work with the history, the record of history of this moment, this glorious moment of a thing beyond our full conception. It's our prayer that the Spirit of God would be our teacher, that there would be a rising sense of conviction and tenacity of soul concerning these matters, that it would not be left on the page as a mere doctrinal assertion, but that it would become for us a practical matter for living life here and now in light of their and then, we thank you again for our Lord Jesus, of whom we've sung so much and read so much and prayed so much already in this hour. And now as we turn our attention to the text, we pray that the Spirit of God would be our helper, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, make our hearts tender to the truth, and cause us to be responsive in a way that pleases you. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. I can't think of anybody that I know around here that would argue with the truth that God is all-knowing and powerful. God is not limited, as are we, 
He can do anything he desires in any way that he desires it, as long as it doesn't conflict with his own most holy self. God cannot deny himself. God does use, at times, means. He used means to bring me into the world. The means are named Walt and Leora. Most of you know what I mean. Some of you don't, and that's okay. God uses means. But God can also do things without means, and often has. It is not surprising then to us that God can make Adam out of dirt without use of biological parents at all. It is not surprising that God could make Eve out of Adam without the use of a mother or a father and yet use one of Adam's body parts. Anyone convinced of God's knowledge and power could not stumble over the unusual birth of Old Testament Isaac and New Testament John. It is obviously then no great stretch of our imagination in light of God's knowledge and in light of God's power to believe that Mary, by the power of God, could have a child without a biological earthly father. Yet Matthew is prompted of the Holy Spirit to bring focus and attention to the humble man, the legal husband to Mary, that would come to believe the impossible and be led to lead a blended family with an oldest son, not his own. Matthew brings us the genesis of Jesus from the perspective of Joseph. Now, you know we spent a number of weeks considering Matthew 1, 1 to 17 in the element of genealogy. And then we spent a whole week last Sunday in Matthew 1, 18 and kept the focus upon the aspect of Mary, which is where the focus is placed of the Spirit of God at verse 16. But now, beginning at verse 18 and continuing to the end of the chapter, you have a unique sense of redirection of attention towards this unusual man, man of God, named Joe, Joseph. And indeed, Matthew 1, 18 to 25, gives to us the record of virgin birth from the perspective of uh, the humble man, uh, the legal husband to Mary, that would come to believe the impossible, namely, Joseph. My mind has been captured in, in many uh, uh, years over uh, the simple statement of the scripture at the end of verse 18 that Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. In the original language, that word is almost a letter-by-letter -letter rendering of our English word Eureka. She was found. Eureka of the Holy Spirit. According to the dictionary, Eureka is used to express, quote, triumphant achievement. 
and I'm sure that we can certainly understand how that, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ was a heavenly triumph of achievement. But Matthew confirms that any real sense of God's triumphant achievement in the womb of Mary was lost on Joseph at first. You and I, what a thing God has done. Well, Matthew didn't take it that way. When he heard that Mary was with child. There had been no sin, violation of marriage, even though Joseph, for I believe an extended period of time, thought that there had been. And that his plans and work towards having his own home had been completely wrecked. There was a few moments, more than that I believe, there was a few days, more than that I believe, there was a few weeks, more than that I believe, there may have been a few months. When Joseph had a hard time thinking about Mary, except by the reality of home wrecker. Joseph had absolutely nothing to do with the conception of Jesus called the Christ. He was not the father, but his perspective and his story have everything to do with our correct thinking about the Holy One that he raised as his son. Over three weeks, we will make seven observations of Joe, the godly man, that our scripture calls just. First of all, from verse 18, I would remind you of Joseph's honorable commitment. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused, betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. The binding relationship known as espousal, as is referenced in verse 18, is the legal side of Jewish marriage known by the term betrothal. We spoke of that last week. Immediately following the marital covenant of betrothal, the husband would devote the whole of his time and the whole of his resources to preparing a physical place for his wife. For when the time came that they would indeed come together and start living together as husband and wife. In the ancient tradition, the actual wedding day was often a complete surprise to the wife. The wife would never know when the wedding day would take place. I've often advocated that would be a wonderful grace uh, if it were true in modern society, that the woman would not know uh, how to put all the pieces together and add such angst to the aspect of a simple thing to take place on a day. But nonetheless, uh, we defy wisdom again and again, and we certainly do in that regard. Nonetheless, when the husband had finished preparing the house, when he had finished preparing the living quarters, 
uh, he would initiate a time to go and get her and bring her to the wedding supper. She never knew for sure when he was coming, but when he came, she was ready, and he'd take her off to the wedding supper. After an extended marriage feast of usual seven days, the husband then would take his wife to the place he had prepared for her. Joseph would have said to Mary, after their uh, covenant of betrothal, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Those are the wedding words of betrothal. And of course, you recognize those words from John 14. Mary anticipated, Joseph anticipated a day future in about a year in which Joseph would be able to say to Mary, Welcome home, honey. And you and I as believers in Christ have the anticipation of a day soon in which our Savior will say, Welcome home. While we know very little about the detail of Joseph's life, we can say certainly that the period of betrothal and during that period of betrothal, he was faithfully committed to two things. Number one, as a man, he was faithfully committed to work. Known to be a craftsman, as indicated ahead by the word tecton, Joseph was a skilled laborer in wood and stone. Popularly, we know Joseph as a carpenter. But the Bible word used to describe him also included that he would be known as a stonemason. Uh, no one was so specialized back in that day uh, so as to not work with all materials. And the technon would have worked with wood and stone. Joseph uh, worked hard uh, to build a place where he and Mary would call home as a man he was a committed worker. One of the interesting things that has taken place in the life of my family over the last couple of years is a couple of grandsons that have now entered that stage of transition between boyhood and manhood. And uh, the oldest got his first real job. Now he worked before other places. But he got his first real job uh, here uh, about a year and a half ago. And now the second one uh, got his first real job uh, this summer. And you know the difference between a job and a real job. A real job is that which leaves you tired at the end of the day. It's a job that exhausts you, even if that exhaustion is only mental. Uh, but the reality is the fact is that uh, it's quite a, a transition. And uh, more and more today, many uh, so-called men never make the transition from boyhood play, play uh, to uh, uh, manly work. The world treats work like a four-letter word, and it is, but it is not. But a man is distinguished by his work ethic. That's not my idea. That's what the Bible says. And Joseph was known to be a worker, one of the greatest testimonies for a born-again Christian is that he would be known to be a worker. Joseph 
was committed to work. And then we say from verse 18 that Joseph was committed to wait. Committed to work and committed to wait. It is likely that Joseph was older than Mary and maybe by a significant period of years and yet had already waited for her to reach the age appropriate for their marriage. But the period of betrothal was by design an extended time of waiting to consummate the marriage union while preparations were made for a life together. Joseph knew that God had placed great value upon sexual abstinence outside of marriage and that God had placed great value upon sexual fidelity within marriage. Joseph was committed to wait according to the will of God, committed to wait according to the word of God. Here is a productive man of purity who is committed to work and is committed to wait. And so I say to you that he is an honorable man of commitment, as, of course, was Mary, an honorable woman of commitment even as we talked about last week. But I want to get to the second thing this morning, and that has to do with Joseph's holy character. There is a single word in a single verse that reveals a truckload of insight into the character of Joseph. And I would remind you that this is the selected word for him by God. This is God's word for Joe. This is not the word of his mother. This is not the word of his father, Jacob, as named in verse 16. This is the word of the Holy Spirit through Matthew, and that word is just. Verse 19, being a just man. Now here's the whole verse. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privily. Now, there's a, a little sentence that I want to lay on the congregation today and ask you to think with me about it, maybe say it with me a couple of times, because it underscores the idea of the English use of the word just. Now, if you're one of those grammar freaks, uh, you uh, need to know that the word just, J-U-S-T, uh, is usually in English an adjective, but it is often in English an adverb, and the difference is huge. So let me make my statement, and at first it will not immediately appear as to what it is saying, but I trust that ultimately it will appear. Here's my statement. Ready? Just Joe was not just Joe, but just Joe. Get it? Just Joe was not just Joe, but just Joe. Do you get it? Can you say it with me? Just Joe was not just Joe, but just Joe.
When the word just is used as an adjective, it refers to a person who is guided by a commitment to the truth, a person committed to righteousness. It's interesting because the old word for just in Old English was rightwise. Joseph was rightwise. Or we could say Joseph was straightway. Joseph was just. It's using the word just as an adjective. Now the word just as an adverb can refer to a brief time, like the sun just came up or went down. And the word as an adverb uh, can refer to a narrow margin, as in the arrow just missed the target. But the word just as an adverb also refers to something that is of a lesser. As in, don't bother to answer the door. It's just Joe. Don't bother to answer the door. It's just Joe. And so when you put the adjective and the adverb together with the Bible word just, which is otherwise translated righteous, being a righteous man, being a deliberately right man, a right wise man, when you put that together, then you understand the sentence. Just Joe, well, it's not just Joe, but just Joe. And now I trust you get it. One word, that one word tells us a lot about Joseph's heart for God. That also, that one word tells us a lot about Joseph's worship practice. Because the word is used coming out of the Old Testament for Old Testament saints. And because Christ did not yet died for sins, risen on the third day, ascended, we can say that Joseph would have been associated with the Old Testament remnant of saints. The word just speaks of people with a heart for God. It speaks of people who are faithful to live in obedience to God's word. The word just is found multiple times in the Old Testament to speak of one who is devout in seeking to fulfill the law of God as communicated at Sinai to Moses. The word just is found multiple times in the book of Proverbs to describe a man of godly wisdom. And so we are not right, I should say we are not wrong, uh, to uh, place in regards to uh, the life of Joseph this idea of, uh, of a devout man, uh, of a man that had a heart for God, of a man that was faithful to live in obedience to God's word, and a man of wisdom. Uh, the word just is used of Noah in Genesis. The word is even used in the Old Testament to describe God and his dealings with mankind. Matthew 
just as God is just, as the man of wisdom is just, as Noah was just, Matthew tells us that Joseph was a just man. And that element of the fact that he was a just man plays in regards to uh, the particular dilemma uh, that he is confronted with that we'll develop here in just a quick moment. But notice again, verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example. Now, those two phrases go together, and so we are told of, of uh, Joseph's justice or justness in relationship to his desire not to make Mary a public example. And that beautifully brings us to the third thing this morning we want to say about Joseph, and that revolves around his horrible conflict. However, whenever Joseph found out that Mary was with child, and he didn't find out by text, and he didn't find out by email, and he didn't find out on the telephone, he didn't even find out by the telegraph. He didn't find out by Pony Express, and you'd be wrong to think that they were living together. If they weren't, she was still at home with her family, and shortly after she knew that she was pregnant of the Lord, she took off for a visit with Elizabeth and was gone for an extended period of time in the visit of that home. Luke records that when the angel first appeared to Mary, she herself asked how a pregnancy was possible since, quote, I know not a man. That includes Joseph, but it's a statement about all men. Joseph appears to have lived an extended number of days with the thought that Mary was unfaithful. He appears to live uh, an extended number of days with the thought that under the law, Mary was guilty of adultery. We are told of Luke that Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John the baptizer when Mary is known to be, listen, just pregnant. And she was just pregnant, justly. If we play with those words again. Joseph's conflict with Mary and her apparent infidelity was heightened because he was a righteous man with some considerable time on his hands to think about the yuck side of circumstance. Here's a guy that not only confronts a yucky circumstance, but has time on his hands. How motivated would you be to fix up the house after confronting the yuck of circumstance? The dear man knew that he should not consummate the marriage 
in the face of Mary's adultery. He knew that under the law of God, Mary was subject to death by stoning for her sin at the hand of the elders. And yet he knew that in his day, stoning was never carried out in the light of the public shaming of a dirty girl. Talk about the horns of a dilemma. Verse 19 represents his uninformed thinking about the matter. Think of verse 19 as Joseph's uninformed moment of thought. Look at it again. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. We are told specifically that Joseph, confronting the yuck of his marital situation, responds with a heart not to shame Mary What kind of thoughts surge in the mind of a man to come to such a conclusion? Well, there would have to be in the mind of the man thoughts of truth. The truth is she's dirty. The truth is she violated me. The truth is she's wrong. The truth is it hurts. The truth is, my plans are wrecked. The truth is, the circumstances stink. But then within Joseph, as a just man, there are thoughts of grace. I see in Joseph, in this extended period of thinking, uninformed, I see truth, and I see grace. And how is it that you can bring truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and grace, favor, blessing together in such a yucky circumstance? thinking about that idea of the alignment of <laughs> truth and grace, I was thinking about one of the historical uh, realities of the, of the town in which I grew up as a boy back in the late 1800s. Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers uh, decided to dig out the channel uh, from the channel, uh, Saginaw Bay going into the channel uh, of the Saginaw River so that the big uh, ocean carrying boats could make their way up the Saginaw River to pick up supplies and let off supplies. And uh, after they uh, uh, made that channel, uh, it was about a 95-foot channel, uh, made big enough for the big boats, uh, they decided that they had to do something so that uh, uh, back in that day, before they had GPS, that they could get those big freighters to line up and to make it into the river. Otherwise, it'd take a lot of tugboats to pull them out. And uh, so what they did is they came up with uh, the idea of range lights. And they set a lower uh, range light in the near 
and they set a higher range light uh, in the in the in the rear in the front I should say uh, lower range light in the front and a and a higher range light in the rear and then what would happen is is that when the freighters would be out there in the bay uh, the lights would be uh, skewered from each other and when they moved their ship until the lights came to be perfectly in alignment then they would know they were in the channel and uh, uh, there are books that have been written over the aspect of uh, the experience of sailors in aligning the range lights so that they could make it into the channel of uh, the Saginaw River. And I want you to think about what it would be like to bring truth together with grace in a real moment in time. And I tell you that life as I live it, that life as you live it, seldom easily embraces truth and grace together as one. Most of us have a bent. We're really, either really heavy on the truth side and uh, we got very little of the grace side. We talk about shooting everybody. <laughs> and then there are people that are, are uh, heavy on the grace side and they don't know much about the truth side and they talk about forgiving everybody. And yet, you and I are confronting in this text one pre-Christ, one before Christ, who grapples with truth and grace in a moment of time. And Joseph is trying to bring grace and truth together in a moment of time. I remind you that the Lord Jesus, the stepson of Joseph, is full of grace and truth. One of the outstanding characteristics about God is he doesn't have to work to make truth and grace come together perfectly as one. God is truth, and God is grace. And those two things that are always at conflict in us are never in conflict. Christ being he who is full of truth and grace. But Joseph is trying to align the elements of truth and grace. And we're simply told in the scripture that he didn't have a heart to shame Mary publicly. He thought her to be unfaithful to him, and yet he takes not the posture of vengeance. I was glad to hear that Maury Povich quit Never watched this show, but Maury Povich was uh, the rather infamous uh, man on television that uh, was uh, bringing people together and taking paternity tests to be able to expose on national TV whether Bob was the father or Bill was the father or George was the father or whoever was the father uh, of the baby. And uh, there were fist fights on television, made for great TV, some people say. But nonetheless, I'm glad that uh, that uh, uh, Maury Povich is off the air. Uh, but not surprisingly, some of those men that found out they weren't the dad were more than mad. And many of them took vengeance on the woman and the show. Joseph took the posture of no vengeance 
love for God and Mary made him think to seek a resolve, uh, resolving of the situation, a resolving of the marital commitment without public shaming. He is a man that exercises himself in truth and grace. Joseph knew that during the period of betrothal, he could legally let her go. In modern vernacular, we would say divorce her, thus keeping the matter between the two families involved. And so we see in uninformed Joseph something of the two qualities that we know find their zenith in Jesus Christ, namely truth and grace. We cannot say that Jesus was a chip off the old block, but we can say that the man who would serve God as earthly dad to Messiah, manifest a mind and a heart for truth and grace before he who was truth and grace personified died for our sins. Joseph was a respectable man of God pre-cross, characterized in the worst of domestic moments by truth and now, I'm not quite done with the sermon yet, but if I were, this is what I'd want to be saying to you. Joseph is pre-cross, truth and grace. Christ is the manifestation of perfect truth and grace. And certainly, you and I as Christians, post-cross, ought to reflect the truth and grace of God. If Joseph could do it, before the cross and before the endowment of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and certainly you and I can do that post-cross and with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Oh, that we as individuals, all oh, that we as a church family would reflect the truth and the grace of God. Our world doesn't need one or the other. It doesn't need a 60-40 a uh, uh, formulization. It needs the totality of truth and the totality of grace brought together as one and certainly as an individual in a difficult circumstance. And this local church in difficult circumstances ought to seek always before God to help to align, as it were, the lights of truth and grace for testimony, for impact, for truth, and for grace as found in Christ, in Christ alone, in all perfection. If Joseph, a man under God, could personally evidence something of truth and grace before the one full of truth and grace was born, lived, died, resurrected, ascended, then surely we with faith in Christ can and should evidence truth and grace in daily to stop for today for the sake of time we'll pick up four other additional qualities about Joseph next week but many of us this morning can align our thinking and connect with something of Joseph's dilemma 
not knowing exactly what will be next. We respectfully pursue the best way forward in truth and grace as a matter of the honor of God. Pastorally, I don't think that there's a single week that there isn't the necessity in my soul to align God's truth and God's grace in regards to a particular situation. There are times the situation at hand invokes of me my usual response, which is truth. I like truth. Are any of you shocked by that? No. And therefore, I have to look to God for grace because truth alone should not stand in a pastor's life. He must be a man of truth and grace because God is the God of truth and grace and has brought those two things together perfectly in one, Jesus Christ. But what's true for the pastor is true for the people in the pew. I would dare say there's not a week that goes by in your life in which truth and grace of necessity are not to be brought together. And like me, you may well react in truth and need grace, or you may react in grace and need the truth. But nonetheless, it's both things together that make the perfect one and reflect the honor of Christ in the moment of times of our lives. I tell you, I just just have such tremendous respect for Joseph. And that's really something. Because honestly, I know hundreds upon thousands of Christians, and I respect very few of them. I love far more people than I respect. I do not respect the vast majority of Christians I know. And yet I read to this guy, never met him. Did he have a long nose or a short nose? I don't know. But I'll tell you this, I respect that man. Because before Calvary, here's the man in the will of God to be assigned to baby Jesus, toddler Jesus, elementary school age Jesus, adolescent Jesus, And wouldn't you know it, in the will of God, he is a man with a certain modicum of truth and grace. Actually helpful as the Lord grew in wisdom and stature before God and before men. God the Father made sure that God the Son on earth would have an at-home model of truth and grace displayed, demonstrated, if you will, for the honor of Christ to be manifest at the cross. We don't worship Joseph, but boy, do I respect him. But we do worship the Lord Jesus because no one else can do 
except he who is perfect, truth, and grace. Why the Apostle John said, and we, that's the apostolic we, and we, Peter, James, John, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, this morning, thank you for the blessed life of Joseph lived and the way in which the scripture testifies of his truth and grace brought together in a moment, even though in that moment he was yet uninformed of all the facts. But thank you first and foremost for he who is perfect truth and grace. Our Savior revealed, named Jesus, the Christ, our Savior, the coming King. May all that we do this week glorify Him who is our Savior and coming King. We pray in Jesus' name and for His blessed sake. Amen.